Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about the opportunities and challenges of developing cooperative businesses. The Common Share is produced by Cooperatives First, a business development firm increasing awareness and understanding of the cooperative business model and supporting co-op business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. For a backgrounder on co-ops and a better way to do business, visit our website, cooperativesfirst.com. The site has a lot of great business development tools and resources for groups forming new ventures. I'm Asa Marshall, and I'm joined today by my colleagues Kyle White and Audra Kruger. So today we're going to talk about maybe one of the more stressful aspects of, of being on a board, which is conflict. So I guess I'll pose this question to either one of you to start. What kind of conflict can emerge on a board? Well, uh, any number of conflicts can emerge. Um, I haven't actually seen a lot of uh, overt conflict. I think sort of the high level conflict that happens is a divergence of opinions, either by one or sort of a subset of the board in terms of mission vision. So people are not on the same page in terms of where the organization is going. So that, you know, that may not uh, rear its ugly head in uh, he said, she said kind of thing, but it is definitely sets the stage for conflict that's embedded in every aspect of decision making on the board a really hard place to be when you're on a board because I think you could feel uh, quite helpless <laughs> if it's if it's really two factions that are um, pitting in and uh, opposing one another that that's that's a big one and we can drill down and, and talk about other aspects of that mm-hmm. I, I think yeah and I've definitely been in situations where I've been either in a minority and had you know, other board members being disagreeing um, or having the entire membership disagree. And sometimes in those cases, sometimes you need to step away. Mm. But at the end of the day, if that's what's best for the organization, then it's probably the best decision to be made. Other types of conflict I've seen on boards are definitely when you have a bully mm. or someone with a uh, a large ego or someone who's not willing to be collaborative, who has, you know, their personal view of how this organization should play out, and that's what they're going to push. Um, those are really uncomfortable situations to be in, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm forgetting the academic terms right now, but as some of the research that I've read on, on conflict on boards has to do with one kind that is positive in that it's about the issues and people may disagree about what the ultimate solution is, but they're able to debate it and bring different issues to the table and have a bit of conflict, but at the end sort of have a, a decision that everyone feels it might not be perfect, but at least it's been discussed mm-hmm. well at the table and, and everybody can be comfortable with the outcome versus the negative kind of conflict, which is personality clashes or people who make the issue personal rather than about the issue that's that's at the table for the board. So conflict isn't necessarily always negative, mm-hmm. um, but when it is in between sort of personalities, people ganging up on each other, that's when it can have a negative impact on the board or the people sitting at the table. Yeah, and I think um, we've all seen the people who can and can't do it. So they're involved in a, you know, a group enterprise of some sort. And the decision doesn't go their way, the way that they're advocating for the result that they want. So you either have to decide, okay, I'm just going to suck it up. And, you know, I I lost on this one, Mm -hmm. but the overall mission vision I agree with. And I'm going to work towards this, this end goal. But we've also seen the people who just can't get there and they see it as, you know, a personal failing or a slight against them if they haven't gotten their way. And they, they actively work counter to the board's wishes 
is because they hold a grudge or have an axe mm-hmm. to grind. And that would get more of a, a personality um, thing. And so what do you do with those people? You, you can't shoot them. So then what? I mean, I've never been in a fist fight, fortunately, on a board. <laughs> but I've heard of those things would breaking lose. out. What well, maybe, maybe. You know, I mean, to safeguard against those sorts of things, I think co-ops in their incorporation stages and, and ongoing need to have quite a bit of foresight clubs and or all organizations really need to plan for the worst and hope for the best so for example if you do have a director that is making life miserable for other directors they're inhibiting the growth of the organization they're making bad decisions obviously that individual is not fulfilling the rules of being a director which you know all legislation around organizations sets out basic guidelines for how directors in nonprofits, in corporations, and in co-ops need to behave um, to fulfill their fiduciary responsibility. But co-ops, and again, all organizations, need to be forward-thinking in creating those processes so that in the event they need to have some action against an individual director, they can be accountable to the process that they've all agreed upon for these events. So normally, uh, that's usually in the bylaws of the organization, and there's usually some clause around removal of directors, but in my own personal experience, the specific process for that can be either really good or it can lead to bigger headaches. Mm. So I think most organizations go the route where a removal of the directors has to be made at the membership level. So from a specific uh, instance I had to deal with, I was chair of a board and we had to remove a director that was basically lost trust as a director in some of the decisions that was made. And our bylaws made provisions for removing a director, but it had to be at an annual general meeting, Mm -hmm. which meant that if we wanted to remove this person, we would have to, you know, go through the whole process, give 15 days notice, contact the membership, Mm -hmm. post it on our website, Send out emails. And is that a, a special meeting or an annual general? That or, would be a special meeting of the members. Or waited out for the AGM, which could be. Or waited out. I think it was eight away. months at that time. Yeah, that's a long time. So we'd have to go through all that rigmarole to get people together. Then we would need to set that agenda. And that's and a very public airing of the grievances as well. Like, does that instill a confidence yeah. in you know in your organization? with the membership if you're having to mm-hmm. say quite publicly why this director is being removed it's... well and it, it creates an opportunity for one this person to feel really ashamed mm. depending on what that conflict is it's now aired in front of all you know 50 60 100 a thousand members whoever comes to this thing but in an even worse case scenario is it really creates the opportunity for public contention and factions to build. And you really do not want that. The worst case possible is you have the board versus this director and they each have individual members supporting them. So that's, I I always caution groups uh, about that. Mm -hmm. It's, I would say, a very common process that groups default to because it is accountable and it ensures that, you know, Mm -hmm. directors are accountable to members and can be terminated by members. But something to consider is whether or not directors can remove other directors. And again, this is a very contentious one. It does keep things at the board level, but you do have some issues. If you know one person's not going with the rest of the board, do they just remove that person? 
you may create other challenges by trying to safeguard against certain things. Mm -hmm. So in that specific case, because we couldn't remove the director at the board level, and we determined that it was probably not something that any party would want to go before the entire membership um, as chair, we take that director aside, you have a conversation about what happened, and you determine the best path forward. And in this case, the director turned in their resignation, and that was probably the best result for all parties. Mm-hmm. Did you have their letter of resignation ri- written for them? You know, sometimes that's a cheeky way of doing things. Uh, I sometimes look at that as being very efficient. Mm-hmm. But um, always read the situation first, I think. Um, know what situation you're about to walk into. Safeguard yourself. But ultimately, that's a difficult process to go through. Make it as easy as possible for everyone involved. So, Kyle, I know that bylaws are one of your favorite things to talk about. Always. Um, So for a co-op or another board that's just starting out, um, what would you advise them? What process should they go to to try and make sure that there's a good process built into their bylaws from the beginning to deal with things like conflict? I know that uh, all the boards that I'm involved in and have been in the past, I can't tell you what the policy is. I can't remember (laughs) it. I don't know if there was one. You know, so this is something that... So I, I'm not one for noinky bits and details, but it, it, it's critical stuff, mm. and I had no idea what, it, what provisions we had. Right. Definitely having removal of a director by the membership. Uh, without question, I think every organization needs to have that because if the board goes rogue and it's not representing the best interests of its members, there needs to be provisions for removing those individuals or that individual. Beyond that, it does get a bit tricky, Right. You could set yourself up for other issues down the road. So some of the best practices may be at the board level, creating policy that govern the procedures and actions of directors. So in some cases, a director's code of conduct um, or a board charter would be something good to formulate that, again, is a collaborative effort. It's produced by all directors, maybe approved by members. That kind of governs how directors are expected to perform so that in the event someone violates this, it can be brought up at the board level, discussed openly, and perhaps resolved at the board level. Because that would definitely link things back to the policy without necessarily having to go to the membership. And what if that's, what if they don't resign? Then it's just got to go to membership with that policy. You know, fortunately, I haven't experienced many of these situations. Mm -hmm. But in every one that I have known about, individuals do resign, typically because if you're in the wrong and you know it, Mm -hmm. you don't want to create further tension with you at the center. But in the event you need to, those processes are there for a reason. Whoever chairs that organization should be ready and aware of how to handle those situations um, in the event they come up. So what if there's conflict, not necessarily between members of the board? But if the members of the cooperative organization, if the shareholders take issue with decisions made by the board and the conflict Mm -hmm. is between those two groups, do you have some examples or uh, suggestions for those situations? You know, it really gets back to uh, the governance structure of organizations. Um, And again, having processes and understanding and agreement about how an organization is going to handle itself, absolutely essential. And again, I've been involved in a situation like this. Somewhat. I was new to a board, and the existing board had this plan that a a committee had spent some time on. 
and I won't go into too many details because there were a lot of people involved in this, but the board, the majority of the board were in favor of looking at a partnership with another organization that would change how our organization was operating, its direction, its strategy, um, and its relationship to other organizations in this network. And this was largely done out of necessity to improve the conditions in the organization, to put ourselves into a better financial position, and to access better resources and capacity at a larger partner. So we thought this was a good idea. On, on paper, this made lots of sense. And when the call was put in for the members to vote on this, there was some strong backlash, quite a bit, actually. So the parent organization got involved the whole process was heavily scrutinized. Whenever you know someone disagrees with a decision at the organizational level, um, it's very easy to default and be very critical of the process and how things were gone about. Because if there's fault with that, then the decision may not stand. So in this particular case, a good chunk of the membership um, were not in favor of the decision set forth by the board. And many board members were quite concerned with this, were quite stressed out through the whole situation, and were quite fatigued. So at that meeting, the resolution was defeated. Seven of the board members decided to step away from the organization, including our chair at the time, who was in quite a stressful position, and a new board was elected at the time. So it's a messy situation. It's very difficult, but at the end of the day, that's the process that the organization has set out for itself. The issue was resolved. The organization is stronger today than it was then. And, you know, old grievances are resolved. One of the things that I found really, really interesting was our recent uh, guest speaker, Brianna Wetlaufer, who is the CEO of Stocksy United which is an image and video producer co-op, multi-stakeholder co-op out of Victoria, BC. She did a fantastic job of talking about how they were to better a whole industry, actually, with their model. But the one um, captivating thing she talked about was their governance structure and how um, I view it as a very modern um, governance structure. So they have, what is it, over a 1,000 photographers mm -hmm. in 26 countries. And those are their producer members. And what they have done is think of governance not in sort of the conventional AGM, there's a board, um, you know, resolutions, this, that, and the other thing. But that's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. In Kyle's world, the AGMs are the most fun, but not necessarily everyone else's. So what uh, she talked about was the fact that they made a concerted effort to engage in governance on a daily basis, which to me sounds appalling, but um, it was actually quite smart um, because what it did was decrease this sort of rubber band effect of um, disgruntled folks talking you know, amongst each other, forming groups of dissatisfied uh, malcontents <laughs> to, to voice their concerns, you know take over the AGM, bring in the bus of people, whatever they were go going to do to get their voices heard, they actually have um, a platform with good old-fashioned discussion groups. And the executive of the co-op is tasked with going in there, responding in a timely fashion to, to people's concerns and such, because 
essentially what it does is better the organization and make them more efficient and nimble. But it's also a really modern way because, I mean, we're going to get to this later on in our discussion talking about being able to increase diversity and stuff. I remember a conversation during the um, Cooperative Innovation Project, that research piece when we were going out to communities and talking to folks that had no idea what a co-op was, but they were still um, actively involved in creating organizations to meet local needs and such. And this one gal, you know, the, all the old people are, you know, they show up to the evening meeting because they got nothing better to do. And there was egg salad sandwiches there. So why not? And then they are like, where are the young people? That whole thing. And this one woman chimed in and said, young people want to do stuff, but they don't want to go to an AGM. They don't want to be on a board. And I just thought to myself, holy, uh, the co-op sector's got to see this one coming. So anyway, thinking of, I mean, we're talking about conflict, but just modern ways to deal with conflict or board inclusion, would it would uh, be something that all organizations should be thinking about. You know, just about every co-op meeting I've ever attended, the manager or the chair always stands up and says, you know, this has to be an ongoing thing. Don't keep things bottled up just to hear at the AGM. Don't feel that that's the only time to come to the board or the executive with an issue. As members of a co-op, you know you have a right to have a say in how that organization operates. And a lot of co-ops really struggle with getting members engaged throughout the year, whether it's airing of conflicts or anything else. Um, people need to take advantage of that. I think the beauty of Stoxy's model and their advantages is being based online and just inherently being able to have online forums where the airing of these problems or, or concerns can be done on a daily basis. So obviously that's more difficult for more traditional or conventional co-ops, but it is something that they can maybe learn from and try to implement in their own way. I think it's a really important point. Mm -hmm. right. Well, it really occurred to me when I was sitting at somebody else's AGM. I wasn't um, a member of this organization, but just seeing the resources that went in, it was a national organization. So folks coming in from across the country and, you know, the AGM, it, it was more uh, lengthy than what I would have wanted. But just thinking about the the resource allocation necessary and the resource outlay to get everybody there and in that face-to-face -face engagement. But perhaps that's a topic for a future uh, podcast. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> Um, so I have another question for you guys. Is conflict resolution a skill? And if so, should boards be trained specifically in developing that skill? Thinking back to a case of a worker co-op that was 20 years running, it was a much-loved uh, organization in the community, but there was a situation that evolved over the years that was they were embroiled in conflict, and it was between basically two board members that had differing perspectives, but it also had made financial contributions to the organization, so they also felt that they had uh, the ability to have more say than others, which was not a good idea. But anyway, this case study looked at the fact that they had not in their their bylaws set out a mechanism to solve conflict but one of the things that was recommended sort of you know after this the co-op ended up shuttering their doors but the one thing that was recommended is that there be a mechanism to bring in an outside expert that could take on the the conflict resolution and the negotiation there um, because 
I, I think it's a lot to, it's a very specific skill set. So I think getting board members that can recognize conflict is coming and we can't, we can't figure it out. We've got to go to an outside body, but also putting into place maybe in the uh, bylaws, a very prescriptive place of, okay, well, now you're there. Now you have to bring in an expert that can help you resolve this conflict. But that was one of the things that this case study talked about in particular as this was part of a very important piece that the organization missed when they were forming. And then they were just not able to nimbly um, recognize that they were embroiled in this and that it was it was the death knell. You know, I'd be very surprised if there were many cooperatives or any organizations that do have a provision in their bylaws or incorporating documents to deal with conflict. I, I think a lot of organizations are, would be fairly underprepared in those situations. But it is always good to have those provisions so that you can fall back on something, even if it is in, say, um, a terms of reference or some sort of governance documents like that, um, having clear guidelines for what to do if there is disagreement, be it at the personal or values level. Another thing boards can do to kind of safeguard themselves with this is director training. I think a lot of conflict that originates on boards does come from a place where decisions aren't made with the best interests of the organization in mind, where people aren't necessarily fulfilling their duties as directors or aren't acting with the best of intentions. So having directors go through, you know, again, it can be as basic as a workshop, going through something that can help them be better directors and understand what conflict looks like on a board and how to deal with it um, so that it could be a good thing or it doesn't happen. Equipping directors to make those decisions and deal with those situations is something a lot of organizations should be doing. I guess uh, you guys have touched on this a little bit, but do you have any more tips for boards in order to minimize the impact of conflict when it occurs or maybe to prevent conflict from occurring in the first place? I think it's really important to clarify, and this could happen um, with the orientation package or it could happen in board training, but for board members to really understand that the sole purpose um, of their involvement is for the protection of the organization and that is the hat that they are always to be wearing, not from whatever organization they're coming from. I mean, we haven't talked about designated seats, mm-hmm. um, but that's a danger there when you're sort of appointed to a board. It's, it's hard to take off your your own your hat, your organization's hat. Um, it's really important to say that your responsibility is to the organization very clearly. And that's a really good point because in many cases, especially with cooperatives, an individual is joining that organization to receive some form of personal benefit, whether that's sale of their goods, um, new efficiencies, income, housing, what have you. That individual wants to protect that personal benefit and maybe wants to prevent any additional personal costs. So one group I've worked with, they were trying to work through a bylaw change and it was brought forth by board members and heavily supported by a section of the membership and what this would have done it was in a uh, housing corporation um, it would have basically redefined unit factors in the organization to reduce the costs of monthly charges on some of the members and increased it on other members so it's a fantastic economics problem and i'd be very surprised if somewhere in game theory you couldn't find something like this But basically, the people that would have uh, paid less money would have paid substantially less. And the ones that have paid more would have paid a little bit more. But there was more of them. 
So it, it's a really interesting case, but in the specific situation, there was really one director that was kind of leading the charge against the motion. And despite all the arguments that did show that the motion was quite logical, it wasn't the best interest of the organization, and it was did based it, on good policy. Did it increase the amount of money coming in? No. No. No, it, it would have uh, been the same amount of money, just a reallocation mm -hmm. of where that money was coming from. But he would have been negatively impacted by a marginal amount, yet this director fought the change, and it actually ended up leading to a bit more conflict on the board because there was that tension created. So again, it's knowing your role as a director is different from knowing your role as a member. Um, as a member of an organization, you are there for some benefit. As a director, you need to make sure that the decisions that are made are what's best for the organization. Uh, that sounds like a good place to end there. Um, next time, we're going to talk about representation and diversity on boards. <laughs>